Well, hey, good morning again. Um, got a question for you as we get started here. How many of you ever been to Cheesecake Factory before? Sam's got his hand up. In fact, this is take two. I even asked him that earlier. The, the, the thing that strikes me about Cheesecake Factory is their menu. That thing is insane. I Google how many menu items on the Cheesecake Factory menu, and it, it came back 250. And then think about this. In addition to those 250 choices, you can customize almost every one of those choices. So when you go to Cheesecake Factory, possibilities are endless. Do you know what Cheesecake Factory menu reminds me of? Reminds me of the number of choices that we have in the United States for church. There are so many different kinds of, of choices that people have when it comes to selecting a church. You've got small churches, you got big churches, you got traditional churches, you have non-traditional churches, you have liberal churches, conservative churches, and on the way to Camp Covenant Pines, I'm not making this up, there's even a cowboy church, cowboy church. And if you can't find a church that's just right for you, you can do what Pastor Caitlin called uh, last week, or talked about last week. You can take all your favorite parts of different churches and you can quilt them together. You would think in an age when people can customize a church experience to be just what they'd like it to be, you would think that more people would be engaging with church than ever before. But is that the case in the United States? No. People are walking away from church in record numbers. This is part three in a three-part series. Before we go back for fall kickoff, before we start season number 15 as a church, let's go back to the beginning and let's remind ourselves of the vision that Jesus cast for this thing that he called his church. Let's remind ourselves of who we are and why this work matters. All right, well, let's begin our final week of the series with this. If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. The church that Jesus founded isn't a place we go or a product we consume. Maybe this is one of the reasons why people are walking away in record numbers. You don't go to Cheesecake Factory for church. Why would you go to church to get a Cheesecake Factory type experience? There is never a movement, never a movement, like the movement that Jesus launched. In her message last week, Pastor Caitlin, she was talking about how it, people were so wanting, not everybody, but lots of people were so wanting to be a part of this Jesus movement and to show people who this Jesus was, that they were literally ripping open roofs to bring people to Jesus. And Jesus invites us to join him in his work. So I invite you to write this down too. Christ cast a vision for people who impact the world in visible and valuable ways. Let me give that one to you again. Christ cast a vision for people who impact the world in visible and valuable ways. Being the master teacher that he was, Jesus gave us several vivid examples of what that looks like. 
Today, we're going to look at an account of Jesus' life that was written by one of his original 12 disciples, a former tax collector named Matthew. So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open with me to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. And if you don't have a Bible at home, there is a place you can go, uh, uversion.com. They've got a great free Bible app that you can download. All right, well, chapter 5 opens with a section called the Beatitudes. This is one of the reasons why I invite you to open your Bibles up, because you can see what comes right before the passage we're going to look at. And it's this section that we call the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are a list of blessings that Jesus speaks to. And lately, you, you may have seen that word blessed. I'm seeing it all over the place. I'm seeing it on shirts. I'm seeing it on these signs that people put in their, their homes. I'm seeing it in when people post different things and, and they've got their coffee and everything's just right. They're saying blessed, right? When America, when we hear the word blessed, what's it usually associated with? In America, the word blessed is usually associated with, with having a great job. Or we're blessed if we have a beautiful home. Or we're blessed if we have 250 menu items to choose from that we can customize. Well, how many of those things made the list here when Jesus was saying, blessed are? None of those things. You know, we, instead, you've got blessed are those who thirst for righteousness. You've got blessed are the pure in heart. You have blessed are the peacemakers. We're going to come back to that one. And blessed are those, listen to this, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. All right, well, after listing these things that are as countercultural then as they are now, in fact, maybe more so, Jesus said this. Let's go to Matthew. We'll start with verse 13, Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Let's talk about this a little bit. After following Jesus for three years, Matthew was able to say with sincerity, that's true. I have tasted and I've seen this way of Jesus, and it's a better way. The way of Jesus was so good, Matthew left one of the best paying jobs of his day. Matthew had a house, we find out in scripture, Matthew had a house that was big enough where he could invite all of his friends over for a banquet. He likely left that behind too. He went all in with this way of Jesus. And I'd like you to notice two things that Jesus does in this verse, because he does these same two things just in the next two verses that we're going to look, the ones that follow this one. Jesus opens with the words, you are, and then Jesus links that identity to our mission. Let me show you what I mean. Brought some salt with us this morning here. Got some salt. In that time and in that place, salt would have been something that everyone considered helpful. One of the things that salt did was to add flavor. Today, most of our food, it comes pre-prepared. And so the salt is already there and rarely, well, I shouldn't say that. There's probably a lot of people that love the salt shaker. But for me, rarely do I ever use a salt shaker. You know, things are already pre-salted. -pre but in that time and in that place, they made most of their food from scratch. And so they would be used to adding salt anytime they wanted to get that flavor. 
Jesus took, listen to this, Jesus took something that they used almost every day to make something taste better. And then he said, as my people, as my church, that's you. You are the salt of the earth. Now go and be that. You are this, go be that. And very early, the church tried to live this out. Here's an example. Colossians chapter four, verse six. Let your speech always be gracious. And then what does it say? Seasoned with salt. How many of you would say, there's a whole lot of church people who aren't seasoning their speech with salt. Every head here is nodding in this room. And I bet right now there's a whole lot of you nodding your head. Imagine if when Christians spoke, we were careful with our words and we seasoned them with salt. But that's not all salt is good for. In the ancient world, salt was also a preservative. They didn't have refrigerators. So what would they do? They would take salt, they would rub it into meat so that it wouldn't spoil, it wouldn't decay quickly. There are so many things, so many things in our culture that are trending the wrong way. And think how many church people are just following along with those trends. Instead of trying to slow down or even change the curve, we're just going along and by going along, we accelerate it. Salt helped things taste better and salt also preserved the good. And that's not all. Look at what it says. This was really interesting. I, I mean, I think almost everybody knew those two things about salt, right? Tastes good, preserves things, but there's more. Look at this. Leviticus chapter two, verse 13. And this is just one example. There were several examples like this. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. With all your offerings, you offer salt. Deep within the sacred history of the people that Jesus was speaking to, salt was associated with offering your first and your best to God. All right, let's string these three things together. Salt helped things taste better. Salt preserved what was good. Salt was associated with offerings, your first and best to God. And that's not all either. Take a look at what it says in 2 Chronicles 13, 5. And there are examples of this. The Lord God of Israel gave the kingship over Israel forever to David and his sons by a what? By a covenant of salt. So, Salt helped things taste better. Salt preserved what was good. Salt was associated with offering your first and best to God. And salt was associated with a covenant that would last and last and last. All of those are good things. When Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, he connected our identity with something of great value. You are salt, Jesus said. Go and be salty. When his church lived that out, they changed the world. The greatest underdog story in history is the story of the early church. Against all odds, they overcame the most powerful empire the world had ever seen. And not only that, they overcame this unholy coalition of a whole lot of different religious groups that wanted to stop them at all costs. If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. The early church would have been trampled if she hadn't been salty. I got to say that one again. 
The early church would have been trampled if she hadn't been salty. Jesus said, the gates of hell will not stand against my church. We looked at that in verse one, or week one. Now that we come to week three, what did Jesus say in this verse? He said, if salt loses its saltiness, it's worthless. It's gonna be thrown out, it's gonna be trampled. And let me tell you, I could spend the next four hours talking about this. Don't we see the church being trampled? Everywhere we look, is it possibly related to the fact that we've lost our saltiness? Just as Jesus said, these two things are related. You know what else I find interesting? Um, Today, there's a new definition of salty. In the Urban Dictionary, the word salty, it means upset over little. Upset over little. Ha! How often do we see that? In fact, Sam and I were ranting this morning. The church gets so upset over little things. No wonder churches are getting trampled, just as Jesus said they would. Instead of arguing over little things, what if we devoted our full attention to what Jesus himself said? These are the weightier measures of the law, or the weightier matters, I should say. Matthew 23, look it up. It says there's these weightier things, justice, mercy, faithfulness. Those are three examples that Jesus gave of weightier matters. All right. Well, right after this missional identity, this identity of salt, Jesus uses a metaphor of light. Let's go back to our text, Matthew chapter 5. Now we're going to go verses 14 and 15. Look at this. He says, you are, there's you are again. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house in the same way. Let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Once again, Jesus opens with a you are, and then he links that identity to our mission. You are light, go and shine. Got a flashlight here too. Now I had to use this as a table, but imagine if this flashlight, did I just wreck your camera by doing that? I shined it right at the lens. Hope not. <laughs> we'll find out. The, um, if I don't want the, what it does. Imagine this flashlight is in the box. What good is it? What good is a flashlight in a box? It's no good at all. What are some of the good things that light can do when you shine it? Light can reveal hidden danger. Light can help us find things we're looking for. Light can show others the way home. Light can lead others to safety. If you're taking notes, I want to invite you to write this down too. The early church would have been extinguished if she hadn't been so bright. That one's worth repeating again too. The early church would have been extinguished if she hadn't been so bright. Most people don't know this, but it's right there in the Bible. When Jesus left, there were only about 120 disciples. But their neighbors saw God moving in their midst in a way that was different than all other religions and all other groups for that matter. They weren't as concerned about lesser things. They weren't as power hungry. They weren't as judgmental or hypocritical. They weren't as divided 
They love one another like no one else. They serve one another like no one else. They welcome strangers as if they were family. And they didn't just look to their own needs. They looked to the needs of others. And as that movement began to spread in Jerusalem, it then spread further out to Judea and beyond. One of the resources that I used to prepare this week is this one. A lot of great stuff in there, this NIV application commentary. It was really interesting. I was reading this, um, this resource here and the same guy who now is writing Bible resources like this, he used to be an atheist. And in here, when he's talking about this passage, he says, you know, one of the reasons I used to be an atheist is because I looked at the church people. And these church people weren't different than anybody else. So why should I want to explore that faith? Do you know why he's a Christian right now? Because he got introduced to Jesus. Why are those two things seemingly at odds? Why are Christians the number one thing keeping people from seeing Christ? In that book that I just showed you, I came across a quote. He quotes this author and lawyer who lived in Rome, get this, shortly after the time of Jesus. So what you're about to see in this quote, this is what people were thinking in the time of Jesus about salt and light. Look at this. There is nothing more useful than what? Than salt and sunshine, he says. What Jesus is saying we are to be are two of the most useful things that people could think of in his time and in that place. Jesus took two of the most visible and valuable things of his day and he said, you are those things. Now go and be those things. Think how different Jesus' vision is from the most common narrative I hear these days where people, when it comes to saying, sharing their faith, they're like, yeah, but I don't wanna, I don't wanna make anybody uncomfortable and I don't wanna offend anybody. Well, no wonder people are walking away in record numbers. If we don't think we have something of great value, why should they care? With a show of hands, wherever you are, how many of you would say our world's not trending the right way? All right, another one. How many of you would say our world could use more salt and light? Well, then I encourage you to write this down. In a world where somebody should do something, we are they. What if we had fewer church, church shoppers and more church builders? What if we had fewer church shoppers and more church builders? All right, our fall kickoff. It's just one week away. So here's our invitation. This fall, Let's join Jesus in his work. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Remember that? It's right here. It was one of the Beatitudes. Some of you have known me a long time. Peacemaking comes about as natural to me as dancing in high heels does. But I tell you this, even though I'm wired for competition, even though I'm wired to fight, I've tasted the way of Jesus and peacemaking is a better way.
in a world as divided as ours over masks and race and politics and pretty much everything, let's join Jesus in his work in our church. All right, let's give you another example. COVID, it's not going away anytime soon. And yet, basically what people are doing is they're saying, if you got kids, just hang in there. Hang in there until when? Until when? Jesus taught us to welcome children, to bring children to him. That's not easy to figure out how we do that in times like this. But this fall, let's do the best we can to figure out how we welcome children. Let's join Jesus in his work, in his church. Let's talk about teens. It has always been hard to be a teen. But I've been working with teens all my life, and I'll tell you this. I've never seen teens facing the challenges that they are right now, to the degree that they are now. Many of Jesus' original disciples, they were teens. This fall, let's join Jesus in his work as his church. Oh, there are so many needs all around us. Homelessness, trafficking, domestic abuse, racial tension. What good are we in this world if we're not salty? What good are we if we're a flashlight in a box? This fall, let's bring salt and let's bring light as we join Jesus in his work as his church. If you're a member, we want to invite you to renew your membership right now. Let's not wait till January. Reach out to Kelsey, Kelsey at Emmanuel.Church, if you're already a member, and say, hey, I'm in. I'm in. I want to be a part of building his church together. And if you're not a member and you'd like to learn more about how you can be a part of what we're trying to do here as a member, you can join us on October 4th. We're having our next Explore Membership class right here. Um, and you can sign up for that at Emmanuel.Church slash register. And let me tell you this right now, our ultimate goal here, it's not to connect you with our church. It's to connect you with his church. And that begins as it did with Peter, with that question that we looked at in week one. What about you? Who do you say that I am? About once a month, we commemorate a real event, something that, that Jesus led his disciples an event where Jesus demonstrated his love and his commitment to us. If you're new to our church, when we commemorate this thing that we call communion, we commemorate this. Our Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this, body, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's so much that the Bible doesn't say about the sacrament of Holy Communion. It doesn't prescribe a specific age. It doesn't prescribe a specific method. It doesn't prescribe a specific type of bread or wine. But here's something the Bible does say. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. Let a person examine themselves and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You know, it is so easy for us to point fingers all over at all the brokenness. 
But right here, right now, let's look at our own lives. What about you? Who do you say Jesus is? And what about your life? Are you living as salt and light in a world that needs both? Jesus invites us to join him in his work. Today, we want to give you a chance then to say yes to that invitation. We're going to say some prayers, pray some prayers together. We invite you to sincerely pray them with us. And then participate in the sacrament. Take a piece of bread, dip it into your wine or juice. And as you do that, remember that's his body, that's his blood given and shed for you. As you do those things, don't worry so much about getting the ritual right. The most important thing is let's keep this real. So we invite you to pray with us right now. Heavenly Father, to whom all hearts and minds are open and all desires are known, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may more perfectly love you and more worthily magnify your holy name. We confess that we're sinners and can't save ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. We're not worthy for these gifts which you're about to receive, but say the word and we will be made clean. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Father, we pray that we would be inspired by your words, by your example, and by what we could be if we yielded ourselves fully to you. So Holy Spirit, we come and we pray that as you promised, you would make us born again. That those of us who have become unsalty, you would change our very makeup. You would change our hearts and our minds so that our hearts and minds are aligned with yours. Lord, we pray that you'll take even our brokenness and let it shine as people can see the change that you've done and how these wounds really did become beauty marks. So God, we dedicate ourselves to you. We lay down this church. It's not ours, it's yours. And we pray that you'd help us individually and as a church to be salt and light. And Father, now we join our voices and unite them in a prayer that you taught your disciples to pray so long ago. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.